watchers, any way you can ingest this podcast. Um, maybe eating it. I don't know. That maybe that or drinking. That might be the end goal one day. This is the Fitz's Fixins podcast, the podcast that I'm starting along with my blog. Um, still getting our feet off the ground and everything. And when I say we, I mean me. I'm getting feet off the ground with our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check us out there at Fitz's Fixins podcast. I mean, just to Fitz's Fixins for that. Um, but yeah, this is the first episode. With this, I plan on releasing something every month or so, depending on how my schedule and schedules of those um, align with things. This is our very first edition. We will be having Ryan Kearney, the general manager from Old House Vineyards in Culpeper, Virginia, one of the very first Virginia vineyards I ever visited. And I was lucky enough to get some time with him to sit down via Zoom and talk about what it's like being Virginia's first trifecta, which brewery, winery, and distillery, and kind of what that journey's been like for him as he graduated from UVA and then his transition with the family to helping run Old House Vineyards. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the goal with this podcast. I want to sit down with people in the industry, whether that's winemakers, that's proprietors, chefs, restaurant owners, anything in that kind of realm and just talk to them and, and have a casual conversation and talk about what makes them love what they're doing, what um, what got them into it all, and and just kind of more casual with it. I don't want it kind of a face-to-face formal interview like you would necessarily have on a newspaper or, or a story like that. More casual, sit back and just really talk about their love because to be in this industry, I know you have to really love it and there has to be a story behind and i want to i want to learn all of their stories and ryan was gracious enough to be kind of my guinea pig subject on it i referenced that a couple times in the interview and i am so thankful that he was able to kind of take time out of his day and to and do something that who knows where this will turn up in just a couple of years weeks who knows what will happen with this and um i hope you guys enjoy it listening wherever you can find it on podcast distributing it through anchor so maybe Spotify, maybe some iTunes. Not really sure on all of that. But yeah, go ahead, sit back, relax, um, put in your headphones, your earbuds, AirPods. I don't know. I don't have AirPods. So, um, but enjoy this podcast coming at you. Ryan Kearney from the Old House Vineyards. Um, Enjoy. First off, what is your kind of title at Old House and how did you get involved? I know it's a family run experience there so how did you go from where you started on your first day with the family to to today yeah so uh i've been back full-time here at old house for uh a little over five years now uh might be six years now uh i I graduated in uh, 2013 from the university of virginia uh and then went up to dc as a beltway bandit for about a year and a half um, but uh, uh, while I was up there, uh, that's when we started the uh, distillery project, uh, and uh, I was doing the licensing for that while I was up there, and when uh, uh, someone uh, needed to come back full-time to start doing that, uh, I was at the point where I, w- I was ready to leave D.C. Um, I did not expect uh, to uh, uh, come back here in a full-time capacity uh, in any respect. It was sort of a, a transition to uh, until I sort of figured out what I wanted to actually do back in uh, DC. But uh, uh, to this point, I uh, haven't left yet. <laughs> so um, the uh, and uh, I don't have any plans to disappear anytime soon. Um, there's always something interesting going on here. Uh, we have a lot of new projects uh, in the works. The uh, and uh, uh, the aspect that you know we get to actually you know what we want to do, we get to put into place uh, almost immediately. Uh, is uh, very appealing uh, to me, but uh, uh, right now I uh, essentially act in the role of a, uh, a miscellaneous slash a, a general manager. <laughs> the, uh, we have a full-time brewer, we have a full-time uh, winemaker, uh, we have a, 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 a full-time uh, distiller uh, too. Uh, pretty much what I like to think of myself as is uh, 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 production logistics and uh, brand management. Uh, so the, uh, and I think that uh, uh, someone's viewpoint on Old House. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, that has somehow passed by me in some regard. So, being kind of the miscellaneous general manager, date the the brand manager, everything like that. What is your day to day? I imagine it's probably a different thing every single day. What is your day to day kind of like in in the terms of all of that? The uh, so it changes uh, quite dramatically, uh, especially if we're talking. Uh, 
uh, what this week has been like versus this month versus the uh, 11 months uh, uh, prior to that. Uh, but uh, uh, today was spent, uh, today was spent, uh, the morning uh, was uh, spent uh, with four hours bottling uh, hand sanitizer. Um, the uh, We've been uh, uh, doing that from the distillery uh, aspect in partnership with the town of Culpeper. Uh, then it uh, uh, followed up with a, a couple different uh, uh, Zoom uh, conference calls with the uh, various organizations around the state. Um, and then it uh, jumped in to um, a uh, adopt a vine program uh, that we're working off and on with tourism. And then uh, pretty much we uh, prepped for planting new vines, uh, which starts tomorrow morning uh, before it rains. So uh, we'll be putting probably a thousand vines in uh, tomorrow and another uh, uh, 3000 vines in over the course of the next uh, week and a half. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of vines. <laughs> Is that yeah, we're here. <laughs> perfect that's what I like to hear is that a lot of vines for this year or is that kind of on average with what you guys normally plant I've I really have no idea what a the the normal planting of it all is yeah so uh, acreage is sort of a uh, it, it's a funny question in Virginia because everyone will have sort of their uh, uh, own answer to uh, when uh, uh, when someone comes to the winery how many acres of, of grapes do you uh, have planted here um, the uh, uh, there's not a specific number of vines that will be answered in that question. Every vineyard is going to be a little bit different. Um, and so to give you a bit of an idea, we have about 32 acres of vines here on the property uh, spread over uh, uh, eight different varietals uh, right now. Um, and uh, that's pretty much the uh, plantable space that we have on the property. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of open, uh, uh, ground area but uh, due to uh, 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 clay shale um, parking lots uh, the uh, uh, it we can't really plant there anymore um, and so 32 acres is sort of where we top out um, with that being said when we first planted the vineyard uh, you know our spacing was five feet uh, in between uh, every vine so you have a lot of room the uh, uh, I like to think of vines as sort of like trees uh, you know the uh, uh, the vine behind you uh, in your picture looks like it's uh, one of those almost five acre uh, or five, five foot spacing. Uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that's about how much room I have in front of me to the next vine because I'm sitting in the midst of these vines right now. <laughs> Which look really good. <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, a vine is going to be like, you know, a vine, a weed. It is going to uh, uh, spread out uh, as far as you're going to give it room to grow. Um, and so if you were looking for a really uh, a high yield and you have a, a variety that can uh, uh, hold a lot of fruit, um, like a, a Vidal Blanc, a Chamberson, uh, a lot of your hy hybrid uh, varietals, um, you're able to give it some more room and uh, put out a lot of fruit. Um, what we've been doing over the course of the last uh, uh, five, six years uh, the has been uh, trying to uh, uh, move that six foot uh, planting space to about two to three uh, uh, feet. Uh, and what that does is um, instead of your uh, arm in both directions spanning three feet, spans one and a half uh, feet. Uh, and so your total harvest is going to remain the same. You're not going to get more fruit out of doing this, uh, but you're going to have fewer clusters on each vine. So all that energy that goes into growing gets put into that fruit. So theoretically, uh, the quality of your fruit with your clusters is going to be of a better quality than it would have been uh, with double clusters on the vine. Um, and so most of our planting right now has been uh, uh, interplanting uh, in the vineyard. Okay. Um, when did you guys first start planting on the property? So the property was purchased in 1998 uh, and the first uh, vines were put in the ground in 1999. Uh, my uh, my dad uh, Patrick, um, his day job is in uh, millwork and museum exhibits, uh, and so uh, the uh, what he does for a living is he builds uh, museums up and down the East Coast. He's been doing that for almost forty years now. Um, the uh, and so uh, um, our family was originally from uh, Fairfax. We lived uh, by the Vienna Metro uh, area, and uh, his shop was located up there, and. Uh, 
he had helped build the original Culpeper History Museum, which is the town that we're located in. And so he's sort of familiar with the area. Uh, and uh, this property had just shown up for sale by owner one day in the paper. Um, 75 acres had been abandoned for about a decade. Uh, and uh, and so uh, he came out uh, uh, with all of us on uh, Mother's Day because uh, that's you know what mom wants to do <laughs> travel around. Uh, yeah, she wants to go to a farm, an abandoned 10 year old farm on Mother's Day. Exactly. Exciting. <laughs> Um, and so uh, the the at the edge of the property is where he had to park because you could, it was introvertible. You know, you grass it, it that you know was taller than I guess we were kids, but taller than we were. Um, and so uh, the uh, uh, he ended up uh, actually buying uh, uh, the property uh, that day on the back of a napkin. Um, the uh, uh, and uh, the idea was that. Uh, the guys at his shop come down and uh, hunt and fish, sort of blow off some steam. Um, with the mill working uh, business comes sort of individuals that like to go hunting and fishing on the weekends. Um, uh, but uh, no one ever made it uh, down. Uh, no one in our family really hunts or fishes. And so it turned to plan B, uh, which was dad trying out uh, his green thumb. Um, and so uh, uh, the, the, that has its whole sort of own backstory uh, behind it. Um, Old Dominion was actually a winery a co-op uh, that existed around this area uh, back in the uh, uh, mid 90s. Uh, and uh, it was something that was just really ahead of its time, talking about 50,000 gallon wine tanks, something that would not look out of place in the middle of Napa. Uh, but uh, Virginia just wasn't ready for that kind of uh, production. Um, and so it went out of business. Uh, and uh, uh, dad had stopped there for a wine tasting one day and you know got to talking. Uh, uh, to one of the, the guys there as they were closing down. He's like, oh, you have some property, you should plant some vines, and you know, that's how it sort of spiraled out of control. Uh, and uh, it has been a learning curve and evolution ever since. And from day one, you guys have now had a brewery, a distillery, and have you just talked about what you guys are doing with the vines and everything. What, what spurred the idea to kind of move from winery and enhance that to then go to the brewery and then go to the distillery? Like, why did you guys want to have those three things, which I imagine all are very hands-on, very like in-depth things all at once? Sure. So the uh, so a lot of our expansion projects uh, started about nine, ten years ago. Uh, you know, not to say that you know we were a uh, hobby winery by any means, uh, but. Uh, you know, after after about ten years of doing it, I was like, okay, I guess we're going to be here for a little while. It's time to you know start putting some, uh, uh, um, you know, trying to improve the sort of consistency of everything from uh, uh, from year to year. You know, go beyond a uh, a you know, this family is sort of fun and nice people. We should go visit and support them to being like, hey, they have a, a quality product that you know is worth drinking as well. Um, and so that's about the same time we started doing weddings here on the property um, and the weddings, uh, sort of the cash infusion from that allowed us to reinvest that back into sort of uh, uh, other expansion projects. But uh, the reason that the distillery started uh, was actually because of our uh, port style wines, the fortified wines um, yeah, that you need a, a, a brandy. You're adding alcohol to your wine, uh, keeping the sugar content high, bringing the alcohol content up. Uh, distilleries uh, or wineries do not have a license to distill their own uh, booze. Um, and so even if you're doing your own uh, port on site, uh, you need to bring in that alcohol from elsewhere. Uh, and so uh, Belmont Farm is the distillery that's located about uh, 15 minutes from us. And uh, they are the first legal moonshine uh, distillery in the United States. They've been there since 1980. They have one of the largest copper stills um, that predates uh, uh, prohibition. Um, it, it, it is massive. It's a very neat uh, operation. Uh, it's definitely worth uh, visiting. Uh, really nice people. Um, the, and so we had sent our wine uh, to them for a while. Um, they would distill it and send it back. And the whole idea is you're able to make a port completely from grapes on your own property um, because as much as we can grow here and you can drink here off the property. That's sort of what our intention is. Um, but uh, if you've ever seen the show uh, Moonshiners on the Discovery Channel, uh, that show is shot in large part out of Belmont Farm Distillery. Oh, that's uh, and, and so uh, 
uh, about when that show is starting, uh, the uh, uh, they got a, a tiny bit busy and weren't able to offer that uh, uh, distillation <laughs> service anymore. Uh, but at that time too, we're talking about you know eight eight years ago uh, now. Uh, the there's only four distilleries in the state of Virginia. Um, now there's about sixty. Um, it's really uh, exploded, um, and so uh, those other three distilleries at the same time. Uh, also stopped offering uh, their uh, distillation service to wineries across the state. Um, the, uh, there's a couple reasons for that, um, but the primary reason is a uh, uh, brief, brief chemistry here. Uh, stills are made of copper. Uh, the reason that stills are made of copper for two reasons. Uh, the one, they're really uh, good conductors of heat transfer. So uh, you need a whole point of distillation is you're heating up a liquid extracting uh, uh, the alcohol uh, vapor because it has a lower boiling point than water. So copper conducts heat really well. The second thing is it removes sulfur. Um, and so uh, um, the, uh, you need to remove sulfur uh, from your uh, uh, fermentation. Otherwise, it smells like eggs at the end of it. And no one wants to drink something that smells like rotten eggs. Um, and so the uh, wine that was being sent to these distilleries uh, is, uh, generally has a very high sulfur content. Uh, because uh, nobody is selling, uh, nobody is turning their good wine into uh, spirits, as uh, it takes about eight bottles of wine to make one bottle of booze. Uh, and so, if you can sell eight bottles of wine uh, at your own winery, um, you're going to want to do that. Um, so, the you know the wine that's being sent to these four distilleries is uh, generally wine that you don't want a bottle under your label. It has some kind of defect. Uh, you've been sitting on it uh, for a couple of years or a new winemaker has come in and they're like, uh, you know, oh, I don't want to use so-and-so's wine from the previous year because it's not nearly as good as my wine that I'm going to make. Um, and so um, every once in a while, a while, you know, the winemaker has a slight ego, you know, you have to, you have to massage that. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and so, but also, you know, especially from a, you know, from a financial standpoint, really painful having to, uh, you know, uh, uh, dump a couple hundred gallons of wine uh, uh, down the drain. You know, the uh, also don't want to put out a bad product because that reflects on you. But uh, and so a lot of this wine just, you know, put in a barrel and you're going to figure out, you know, you'll do something with it later on down the road in order to prevent the wine from oxidizing and completely turning to vinegar. You add sulfur, which is your preservative. Uh, all this wine that has had excess, excessive amounts of sulfur put in over the years, being sent to these distilleries, that sulfur is destroying the copper stills. Um, and so these distilleries whose livelihood uh, is grain-based products for whiskey, um, you know, and we're only sort of doing this on the side as a favor, small amount of income. Um, you know, it just wasn't worth it for them uh, anymore to do it because it was destroying their equipment. Um, which tends to be expensive. Um, and so about seven years ago, the distillers put out a notice. They were no, no longer doing it. Um, and so we decided that uh, uh, we would do it ourselves. Um, and uh, our thought process, our, our model was 250 wineries or so in the state at that time. Most of them did dessert, dessert wine. Instead of having them bring in alcohol from California, uh, we would uh, do the distillation for the wineries. We would build our stills uh, specifically to deal with that sulfur. Uh, and uh, then everyone could have a product made on their own uh, from their own grapes, um, and we could, most importantly, do our own. Um, but uh, we were the first winery distillery at that time, and so there's some red tape to go through. And it took us about two years to get the license, and so by the time we'd gone through all that, it was like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make our own booze uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> Might as well. That was your long-winded story <laughs> of how we got to the distillery. It was because of the port style wines. Um, <laughs> The, uh, and then we took a class out in uh, uh, Seattle uh, in order to try to uh, 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 learn about it a little bit more, uh, sort of, you know, how to do it. <laughs> um, and uh, part of it. <laughs> we met uh, uh, another individual that was taking the class, uh, Keith Valerio, uh, uh, was out there, and uh, he ended up uh, living in Manassas, even though we were taking this course out in Seattle. Uh, and it was like, hey, instead of, you know, starting your own place, why don't you just sort of jump on board with us? And so he's been with us pretty much since day one. Is he, your, is he like the master distiller or craft distiller with you guys now? Yep. Yes, he is. Oh, that yep. is that's a funny way of, of meeting him. Who, what are the odds that he'd be out in Seattle with you guys? That, 
that's that's very interesting. There's only twelve people in the class, so <laughs> even even less so. So what? I, I'm not. I'm. I'm a, I was a journalism major in school. I wasn't a math major, so I'm not going to crunch those numbers quickly. But <laughs> out of all the wineries in Virginia, how many of them do you distill their port-style wines for? Yeah, so the originally we were thought we were going to be thinking uh, that we were doing a, a lot of them, uh, but uh, uh, we probably work with about 20 uh, on an annual basis, uh, mostly in the Charlottesville and uh, uh, Loudoun area. Um, the uh, And then that all generally comes in that to January after harvest months, um, and then the rest of the year we're pretty much focusing on our own product. Okay, what which types of products do you guys make out of your distillery? So we do a uh, vodka uh, from uh, grapes, uh, actually grape skins. Uh, so uh, if you're familiar with grappa, sort of our recycled seasonal version, not quite as fruity, not quite as harsh, a little bit smoother, a little bit sweeter. Okay. Um, the uh, and so um, we pretty much take. 300,000 pounds of uh, 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 grape uh, uh, pomace, <laughs> the refuse uh, after each harvest season from uh, not only our winery, but wineries all over the area, and uh, 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 referment it and uh, make a recycled vodka out of it uh, each year. Uh, we are about to release our first brandy, uh, which is our sort of bourbon equivalent. Um, the, uh, our, the It has been bottled. It is going through label approval. Um, so. Uh, We'll see when that comes through, but uh, that one is at about five years old. Uh, whenever it does eventually make it to our uh, sales counter, uh, it will be Virginia's oldest brandy because we are the only producers of it. Um, the uh, We do a whiskey, uh, which we age in our port barrels from the winery. Uh, we do a Virginia version of a tequila. Uh, the uh, can't call it tequila though because we're making it in Culpeper, not in Mexico. <laughs> Um, the uh, and then we do a, a couple different spice rums, a citrus a spice rum, a, a cinnamon and nutmeg, uh, a classic a spice rum, uh, and we do a, a, a coffee rum as well. That's a lot. And most of those uh, products are non-grain based uh, because originally we weren't built to do grains. It required different infrastructure. We needed sugar sources that were readily available. Uh, molasses, uh, grapes, and agave all have their own high sugar source that uh, that is easier to work with uh, than grains based on the equipment we had. So we sort of went into our own route there as well. That's interesting. So with the distillery uh, winery, let's talk a little bit about the brewery. What was the idea behind getting the brewery going? So the brewery, you know, part of it was just, uh, you know, Hey, we almost have everything. Why not? <laughs> Why not have the other one? Um, but uh, we'll give the credit uh, to uh, my sister and uh, uh, brother-in-law. Um, and so uh, uh, my uh, sister uh, was a, a nurse at a UVA hospital uh, at the time, uh, and uh, my brother-in-law Josh uh, was completing his uh, uh, residency. At UVA, um, and so uh, uh, he'd always been a big home brewer, uh, and uh, um, and so they would him and a couple of his uh, doctor buddies would come back on the weekends, and uh, we brew five gallon uh, batches of beer in the distillery. Uh, the uh, uh, there's a pretty uh, funny video uh, of uh, uh, one time because uh, he had six of his buddies there as we were bottling fifty bottles on the ground, and there's like. $7 million worth of doctor's education sitting on the concrete floor, sitting Indian style around these 50 bottles. <laughs> and this is all, this is all they want to do, you know, is, is get these bottles and, you know, they all have their gloves on. They're all constantly sanitizing everything. And it's like, okay, well, I guess that's, you know, a good concept. Beer needs to be very clean. Um, but uh, uh, they ended up moving to uh, Kentucky. Uh, and uh, I think part of dad's master plan to, uh, you know, bring the family back closer to home was, hey, you know, uh, we'll start putting our, we're putting the brewery concept together. Um, you know, not that you can give up your day job uh, of being a doctor, but, uh, you know, you can come back, consult on the weekends, maybe do a couple <laughs> of brews. Um, and so um, uh, that kicked off uh, the brewery, uh, which was uh, the brewery that, uh, so I, I, I'm sitting in the brewery uh, right now on one side of it, but, uh, the uh, the project is 
definitely the most ambitious uh, that we've had to to date. Um, the this was if you look on Google Maps uh, last time I looked, it still hadn't been updated uh, from about three years ago, and so you can see the dairy barn uh, that was located here um, that burned down in the 1960s. And so we were originally going to use the foundation of the dairy barn and do this sort of uh, I don't know, stall, very <laughs> pub uh, or uh, uh, pole, pole barn type uh, thing out here. Then we had a really bad storm that came through and it wiped out the rest of the foundation. So it was sort of a blessing in disguise. Um, but uh, so we ended up building this building on top of the original footprint. Um, but uh, the instead of you know, feed gravel and outdoors, it became, you know, 14,000 square foot facility and um, house 400 people at, a, <laughs> at any given time uh, with the idea that we could do live music, uh, sort of a, a concert series here. There's a 21 and up section. There's a family, kids, music, TVs, everything goes section, um, which is quite interesting, uh, the, the <laughs> dynamic when we opened the website about a year later. Uh, three months before everything shut down but uh the uh, uh people really seemed to uh, enjoy having a, a 21 and upside you know it didn't uh, people didn't feel you know shunned that they couldn't go in there because there's a side for for everyone uh but uh the first couple weeks uh, was a little bit worried because it's like okay on the one side it's all calm and intimate and on the other side there's naked children running around with their shoes on because <laughs> now it's like uh it's like wait a second now now there's this feeling like Oh, this is the side that we can whatever whatever goes goes over here. This is the free for all side, and this is the not free for all side. That that's funny. That's a that'd be an interesting dynamic. Uh, it was. It's like everyone that's working at the brewery on any given day. It's like it's like okay, am I am I uh, am I uh, playing babysitter today, or am I on the other side? <laughs> am I on the good side, or do I have to handle a two-year-old trying to steal their parents' beer? That that'd be an interesting um kind of roulette almost mm -hmm. <laughs> going into work every day and then it's always like wait a second didn't i see uh, uh, like half the family is going to the 21 side and half the family is <laughs> leaving their family with the kids on the other and it's like hmm <laughs> so, i would definitely be the one leaving the family to get away from the kids to get <laughs> the 21 and up section but it's like oh i, I can't hear you i'm on the other side <laughs> <laughs> sorry this wall this, this fakeness wall right here it's it's separating us from each other so going to old house what could you kind of expect from it in terms of tasting and and how do the tastings work for each the winery brewery and distillery is there is it one one fail swoop because i think when the last time i was at old house it was a couple of years back when i did a tasting it was actually for my 21st birthday i that was like my big thing i was like i want to go wine <laughs> tasting so we went to a couple and Old House is one of them. I don't know if the distillery was quite open yet, but how does it work now today? Or should I say in three months when the world's back to hopefully normal? Yeah, so uh, they all have their own uh, separate facilities. Uh, we do serve both wine uh, and beer uh, at the uh, uh, brewery location. Uh, but uh, if you want the full wine tasting, uh, it's out of one of the bars over at the winery, either inside the 1800s farmhouse or when it's nice on the back patio outside. Uh, the distillery uh, is uh, an ABC store, so all the spirits have to be kept and consumed in there. Uh, we are building a deck off the side to start doing cocktails uh, in a limited fashion uh, for that as well. Um, and then uh, uh, you wrap around to the uh, brewery, which is behind it. Um, you can do beer flights over there. You can also get the glasses and bottles of, of wine. The uh, We actually launched our, 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 our new website uh, which included everything for the first time as we tried to get out of the uh, you know, <laughs> 20th century uh, technology. That was our old website. Uh, but uh, the, the starting in April, we were supposed to start launching our uh, uh, trifecta tours. Uh, so oh, our sort of dynamic has changed a, a, a little bit over the last year because um, the brewery really did bring in a lot more people mm -hmm. um, and and it has been good in that in the fact that uh you know the we are a little bit worried when you know as we were beginning to open the brewery was you know 
are we just going to have you know uh, the same the, the same people but now all the winery people that you know used to go to the winery are just going to hang out over the brewery and the winery is going to be forgotten uh luckily uh uh that wasn't the case people seem to uh, uh spread out pretty evenly and actually i think the distillery has been the, the biggest benefactor uh, uh of the brewery opening because now everyone has one kind of distillery between the two uh but uh um the but it has definitely become uh, more of a uh, you know a day experience uh, we really don't get that many uh wine hopping uh, uh tours around virginia part of it partly because the there aren't that many places around us either you know we're not in the middle of charlottesville or dc where there's you know wineries breweries yeah. within you know, five ten minutes uh, uh, of each other um so most of the people that come out here you know they arrive between 12 and 2 and they they spend the the afternoon um the and so part of our our transition here is turning more into a uh, how do we become more of an uh experience driven uh, uh enterprise i guess um because uh, we we can definitely tell uh, over the course of the last six months, you know, the our our to go sales for for the winery, you know, have started to uh, uh, go down a little bit, uh, just because on site consumption has gone a lot higher, yeah. um, because people are coming out. I feel with the expectation that you know they're coming out to to spend the afternoon, they're coming out to have an experience. Mm -hmm. uh, not that people are worried about uh, spending money or not spending money, uh, uh, but uh, but they're coming out because they're coming out for the day, just like someone that goes to a you know a, a theme park or uh, right. something along that nature's you know they're coming out have the experience. So how can we build those uh, uh, those experiences in? Um, uh, and so that was going to be driven in two parts. Uh, 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 the biggest initiative for this upcoming year uh, being to expand upon uh, education. Um, and so the first iteration of what would be coming up uh, would be these trifactor tours, uh, which uh, we would offer on Friday, Saturday, Sundays, uh, and uh, they'd be involved. Um, it's not going to be your, uh, you know, you come in and, uh, uh, you know, you're going on a 20, 30 minute tour and then you get to go drink. This is for the individuals that really want to, uh, uh, delve into the process a little bit. Um, it is uh, uh, the the tour guide is either a a member of the family or one of our production uh, uh, team, um, and you're going to spend two hours with us. Uh, and the thought uh, process uh, behind this is is that the, um, there is uh, there isn't a uh, a script uh, that we go by. Everyone's going to be a little bit uh, different. It's essentially what this interview is sort of uh, like. You know, we're happy to go into whatever questions uh, that you have. Uh, if you want to know about our background, uh, you can do that. If you want to know um, about our production, if you want to know about uh, you know what our, our our sales are, how we do it, how we reach the public, what our new uh, our goals are, how we do our products. Um, the um, if if you and if you just want you know the basics of alcohols made by yeast each sugar which creates <laughs> a, a, a alcohol and CO2 you know we're happy to do that as well um, but uh, um, the goal of these tours was two hours we'd start with the winery go through the vineyard a little bit you do some sampling along the way you jump into the distillery um, and uh, you're going into uh, uh, the brewery at the end and that's where you end the day and if you want to uh, expand out and enjoy the rest of the afternoon you can. Um, but uh, knowing that when you go on these tours, you're involved for a little bit. <laughs> um, and so um, the, uh, we would be launching, uh, you know, ho hopefully when we open back up, we will do uh, some kind of a, a deviation off that. I'm not, we're not quite sure how things are going to change uh, or not. Um, but uh, the, uh, the second phase of that education is then, uh, spend a day with the brewer, spend the day with the winemaker, spend a day uh, with the distiller. And if you want to have, uh, you know, smaller sessions and, you know, just walk behind, uh, you know, our, our person, our, uh, our, our main producer for the afternoon, uh, you'd be able to do that. And then the third piece being um, opening up 
uh, week-long classes for uh, other individuals that are looking to jump into uh, uh, into the industry uh, because I feel like we have a unique perspective of uh, 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 wineries, breweries, distilleries uh, across the board, you know, the uh, and uh, which might be better for certain people in certain areas and based on what their goals are. Uh, but there's a, only a handful of those classes uh, around the United States that offer these week-long uh, uh, courses. Um, and so we'd look to, to break into that a little bit as well. But our main thing is the, uh, uh, the very interactive in-depth uh, tours uh, on uh, uh, Friday, Saturdays, uh, and Sundays. Um, and uh, we look forward to, to really getting that up and running. That sounds awesome. I know what I'm going to do when everything's <laughs> over. I'd love to just like spend two hours and, and see what, what it's all like in, in all the different parts. Um, but you kind of talked about it at the beginning of, of what you were saying there about how you guys are kind of almost alone in terms of not having another, another winery five to 10 minutes away from you or another kind of brewery or distillery. And it kind of also, it's almost a two part question here that leads into the, almost the culture of like Virginia wine and how Virginia wine is so different from that of say New York or even California or Washington state or Oregon. Virginia wine's kind of younger and you guys don't have a lot of neighbors, I guess you could say around you. Do you find it like you guys are trying to figure out what works best every year, like on your own, or is there kind of the culture there between Virginia winemakers and across the board? I mean, I guess Virginia spirits all together, liquor, beer, wine, um, where you guys kind of come together and talk about what works best or do you keep it close to the chest? The industry is very uh, uh, friendly. Um, the I would say all three across the board. Uh, the um, and uh, I think part of that uh, is due to in fact that you know, oh, oh, you know over the last twenty years of um, uh, Virginia winemaking, there's been a lot of transition in winemakers around Virginia, um, and so there are those natural relationships too where. Uh, someone has been a winemaker in, in Charlottesville. Alan uh, Loudon has been through uh, uh, Culpepper. Um, there's a, um, I, I like to think of Virginia winemaking in uh, two parts. There's a, there's uh, what I like to consider sort of the uh, uh, European uh, influence, specifically France, um, where there is uh, a good number of French uh, uh, winemakers that uh, came over as part of a uh, viticulture uh, exchange program uh, in the uh, uh, early uh, uh, 2000s. Um, and we, we used it a, a couple times uh, as well. And part of this exchange program is that uh, there would be uh, uh, these uh, young uh, winemakers who had completed their uh, a viticulture education uh, uh, under uh, and uh, uh, undergraduate uh, degrees, sometimes postgraduate degrees, over in France, um, and then they would come over to the U.S. Um, and they'd spend two to three years learning a, a different wine region, and then uh, after those two to three years are up, uh, they could uh, decide to go back uh, to their home country uh, and you know, start uh, uh, with a vineyard there, or uh, they could stay. Um, and a lot of those winemakers uh, have stayed. Um, and so um, that is sort of the, uh, the winemaker experience where it's really uh, uh, grounded in uh, the uh, a firm education of, you know, what is the science, what is the chemistry, what is the soil uh, composure uh, that I need to uh, uh, go about uh, and be a good winemaker. Um, and then there is sort of what I like to think of as the, uh, uh, American winemaker uh, who is the uh, is uh, uh, wherever they located, whether there's East Coast, Virginia, uh, California, and it's uh, you know the uh, I started uh, working as a, a cellar rat when I was 16, um, and then I went out and I worked in the vineyard for two years, and then I became an assistant winemaker, and then I became a, a winemaker by just sort of going through the uh, the steps and the and the processes, and uh, while there has been you know pieces of uh, you know, classes and formal education uh, along the way. Uh, the it's really uh, a learning through uh, uh, doing uh, uh, a portion. And I would say uh, 
Virginia sort of splits 50-50 on, on how it goes. Um, but uh, right now, I mean, there's great resources besides the relationships, which again, um, I would say are very good around Virginia. I mean, the uh, um, pretty much uh, uh, all the winemakers that have been through Old House at some point, you know, we should have an Old House uh, uh, wine tour feature because you can jump around all the different wineries everyone's at. But, uh, you know, the uh, we got hit by a pretty uh, uh, good frost along with uh, a lot of Virginia over the last uh, week and a half. And so, you know, as I have questions as I'm doing my own vineyard scouting, I can pick up the phone and I can call uh, different individuals uh, around the state, you know, see how they did, what their recommendations are for moving forward. And, you know, they're you know, happy to lend any assistance uh, that they can. Um, the, but, um, I mean, the, uh, uh, the Virginia Winery Association, uh, they've been holding uh, conference calls uh, twice a week uh, for the last uh, month and a half. Uh, to uh, um, that includes all the wineries around Virginia. They keep us updated uh, with regard to um, uh, legislative changes, with regard to funding, with regard to uh, you know how, uh, best ways to uh, uh, market and advertise uh, in these times. You know they want that rising tide grazing all boats. You know floating. You know uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know there are a lot of wineries in Virginia. I don't think of any of them really as a a, a competitor you know the uh, I feel like most wineries in Virginia have a very 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 loyal faction uh, that that is all about uh, the, their their hometown winery their winery that they visit uh, but uh, you know the uh, as many wineries as there are in Virginia there's so many more people that want to go to wineries the uh, you know it's not the, the winery uh, uh, down the road or you know 60 miles from us that's bringing in all this business really doesn't have uh, very much effect on us other than uh, hopefully they're producing good wine uh, so that, you know, that the reputation of Virginia wine across the hole when you come in is going to be, you know, hey, it's, it's, on, it's on the uptrend. Yeah. Um, but uh, 20 years ago when we started, it, the, there was no education. You know, there was no, there was no Virginia Tech uh, uh, agriculture, uh, viticulture program. Um, the, uh, you know, there, there, while there's you know not tons of wineries around us <laughs> there was nobody <laughs> anywhere uh, close and uh, you know we had a really hard time uh getting anything to grow here on the property originally we were sending off leaf samples uh, uh to uc davis we were sending them off to uh, uh labs in france no one could tell us uh why you know our stuff wasn't growing and it wasn't until uh someone uh, a good old boy from Orange down the road from us came to look at our our septic for the old farmhouse, um, and he got to talking with my dad, you know, about just you know, you know, what what why stuff is or isn't growing. And the guy was like, "Well, the reason that nothing's growing is because all your vines are drowning, uh, and there's too much water retention in our our, our soil." And uh, the my dad's like, "That's brilliant, you know. Yeah, I've we've been sending stuff out to everyone, and no one has come back and said that." So we ended up drain tiling 22 linear miles uh, on the property between every row of, uh, of vines. There's drain tile that uh, leads down into our, our pond and it keeps the pond a uh, hole uh, throughout the year. Um, but uh, the the you know when we started planting the vines, it was you know the it was probably five times the cost of what was originally laid out to plant everything, um, just because you know the there there wasn't the the research exchange for you know these vines are you know what is what is going to be uh, uh, grafted onto this rootstock which is going to grow in uh, this soil uh you know it was mostly you know we were in that phase of ah my my favorite wine is merlot therefore i'm going to plant merlot <laughs> um, virginia wineries aren't like that anymore you know yeah. they uh, um and uh, uh, just with a, a different rootstock, root a different research, you know, if you want to grow something, there's a good chance that you can grow it now in Virginia um, because the resources are there. Uh, you, uh, uh, you will be able to get the information. Um, and uh, a lot of those uh, uh, missteps that a lot of wineries had to deal with uh, through the 90s and early 2000s, um, you know, that that research base is out there now. There's someone that's willing to help you. There's a lot of resources out there. 
uh, and uh, Virginia on the whole, you know, wants more vineyards, wineries, uh, production happening. And so if you want to, if you want to plant some vines, someone will be there to help you. So I think that kind of leads to this overarching question when it comes to Virginia wines, what makes Virginia wine different than any other region? So Virginia's grape of choice seems to change every five years. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, for what Virginia wants to promote as the, uh, and the wine that, uh, you know, if we are going out of state um, and you're trying to promote, you know, what is Virginia's best wine that you can go to, um, you know, that, that tends to change right now. It seems to be uh, Petit, uh, Petit Bordeaux is that, that the, the hot commodity is sort of a robust version of a Cab Franc in my opinion. Uh, before that, it was a Cab Franc, which I still think is Virginia's most consistent uh, variety and then uh, before that uh, it was a uh, 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 Viognier. Um, the uh, but uh, one of the things that I think makes Virginia pretty unique on the wine industry as a whole is that uh, is while Virginia is the I think it's the fifth largest uh, uh, grape. A producer uh, in the United States. The oh, hold on, I'm just moving locations here so that I can plug you back in, um, so that my computer doesn't cut off on you. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> the so I think the biggest thing is that um, there's so many people that want uh, to consume Virginia wine at the moment. Uh, that um, our production uh, keeps on growing, but because the demand is there, almost all Virginia wine is being sold in Virginia. You know, there is a there's a small percentage of wineries that do have decent distribution uh, outside the state, but for the most part, I would say it's probably up there in ninety plus percent of Virginia wine production is sold and consumed in uh, Virginia, um, which creates a pretty unusual dynamic in that Virginia wine, um, as much as it as much as it continues to grow, is still local. Um, and so uh, the, you know, for uh, uh, probably for the considerable future, you know, Virginia wine, while it does well in uh, you know, uh, uh, nationwide competitions, uh, uh, international awards, uh, you start to hear uh, a lot about it. It's still seen as, you know, a, a, um, you know, a relatively small area because it, it's not distributed because it's wanted so much. In mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if we can support our local areas, if we can, uh, uh, if we can uh, continue to grow and, uh, and the demand is still there in Virginia, we might, you know, still be seen, you know, 20 years down the road as a, as a, you know, a, a small player on the world stage. But, you know, I think for the most part, Virginia wine is okay with that because uh, I think they have something special in that, uh, you know, that uh, you have to be a Virginian to be able to enjoy Virginia wine. That's awesome. That's a really great answer to that. I, it's funny because like growing up in Virginia and living, I live in Fredericksburg. So you have so many different places you can go from here that I never really thought of Virginia wine as that local thing. And then after I graduated from college and I moved up to the New York City area, I realized just how little people knew about it as I'd go into like wine shops and ask about it. And they'd, they'd look at me with this like glazed over, <laughs> what? They make good wine? And then kind of kind of have to explain it to them. But that's a really great answer. It's 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 local. I like that. I like that way of putting it. And I think that's okay for right now. It works for us. <laughs> yeah. And that's all that matters. As long as it's getting, as long as it's doing its job and it's still racking up some awards and people are enjoying it. I think that's all that, all that really matters. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. That's all the, the questions, the talk I have for it. Um, I hope it was enjoyable for you. This was my first time, so it's kind of a guinea pig experiment. Hopefully, fingers crossed, things go really well. But thank you so much for, for 
agreeing to come on to this and, and do this with me. I enjoyed it. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, uh, I wish you the best of luck. I'm, thank sure, you, I'm sure it's going to go well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You have a great night. You too. Thank you. Bye. Well, thank you again so much to Ryan Kearney, the general manager from Old House Vineyards. You could see his passion for it all. I mean, you don't just open a trifecta, the brewery, winery, and distillery, just on a whim, you really have to love what's going on in Culpeper, Virginia. They're doing awesome things. I urge you all to visit them. They have fantastic wines and a fantastic environment. Once all of this COVID coronavirus stuff is over and you're in the Northern Virginia area or really any Virginia area, I urge you to, to go and, and check them out. Thank you for bearing with it all through, through the entire podcast. I'm very thankful. If you have any drawbacks, criticisms, anything like that, hit my line at Fitz's Fixins on Twitter. You can type in Fitz's Fixins on Facebook. Find our Facebook page. I'm also on Instagram at, you guessed it, Fitz's Fixins. And then you can email us, Fitz's at gmail.com. Check out our home on the web, www.fitzesfixins.com. And when I say our home on the web, I mean my home on the web because it's just me. <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to bring fun food stuff to you guys, some fun, funky wine pairings because I love wine. I love food. So why not try the best way to, to get that out to you? I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in. The next one, I'm not sure when the next one will be. I'm currently casting lines out to winemakers, winery owners, chefs, all like that. Um, casting the line out and seeing who responds and who I can get on the next episode once I know that I'll let you all know um, but yeah thank you so much for tuning into the Fitz's Fixins podcast until next time you all have happy eating amazing drinking and have a wonderful rest of your day